0: Welcome to the Evolution Exchange UK podcast, we're bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry fashions and challenges they're facing. I'm Damesh Patel from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I help businesses connect with top tech talent. And today, I'm your host. So yeah, what we'll do is we'll just do a quick uh, intro around the room. So yeah, Nick, do you want to start us off? Yeah, of course, Thames. Firstly,
1: Thames, Dharmesh. Firstly, Darmesh, thank you so much for inviting me to, to do this podcast. Um, it's really interesting. It's a very interesting subject, and I'm very pleased to uh, to be able to do it um i've been in the gambling industry far more years than i actually can't care to remember i actually went back and had a think about this and um i realized that i've actually been in the gambling industry now over 30 years which was a bit of a shock and a bit of a surprise to me um and i've really seen the gambling industry evolve over those years so in the original years i, w- I was in the it department i started as a business analyst after coming with, being a developer in another company Um, I went and worked for Labbrooks as business analyst who were a fantastic organization to work for at the time. And I went through from being a business analyst to being a project manager to being, um, I ended up being charge of development, head of development because I had the technical skills from being a developer. Um, I became program, um, I became, sorry, head of development. Then I became a program director. So I managed a number of large programs and one of them, which was extremely successful in the retail space was something called Les, which was LabBrooks Electronic Showboard Two. And interestingly enough, it's still in the shops today. Mm. and it's still working. And that's twenty years, the best fourteen million LabBrooks has ever spent, I would argue. Um I also did something really exciting at the day at the start of the in- Internet where I created the very first of a books website, which is um bet.co.uk which then morphed, morphed into labbrooks.co.uk which finally became what we now know these days as labbrooks.com um i then left and went to work in italy for five or six years and set up a business labbrooks italia for labbrooks out there came back and i was very fortunate that fdj offered me a role and i went and worked with them for them in a company called lbs and i became i was really there to help them organize the company organize and constant delivery and make sure that we deliver things um we were very successful got a number of high profile customers certainly in the lottery world and then from there onwards um i was eventually made ceo in 2018 and then in 2021 when fdj bought sporting group I went to Sport Group and became the CTO. Oh,
0: wow. Fantastic. Thanks for that, Nick. Uh, obviously, a wealth of uh, industry knowledge specializing within the gaming and, well, the gambling industry alone, like you said there. Perfect. Lovely. So, Stacey, would you like to tell us a bit more about you?
2: Sure. So, my name is Dr. Stacey Barron. I'm the co founder and COO of NCube Data Science in uh, Canada. And NCube has been bringing AI technology to the gaming space since 2016 now. Uh, Some of the notable products that we have out there are for slot floor optimization uh, and for player development as well. Uh, I'm really excited about today's podcast and the session just because I am really looking forward to talking about how technologies that I personally use commercially uh, can be applied to uh, responsible gaming. And I think we're going to have a great discussion.
0: Oh, wow. Thanks for that, Stacey. And a big thank you for joining all the way from Canada our next host, Michael, um, would you like to tell us a bit more about yourself and what you do?
3: So what I do is um, I've been researching, you know, online gambling, land-based gambling with player tracking data since uh, about uh, 2008. And I work with uh, a lot with a uh, UK professor called Mark Quiffis in that area. And what we try to do is based on the actual data that, you know, you can... Um, um, that an online gambling platform or land-based like identified platform produces. We try to understand behavior, you know try to understand how does limit setting work? Do pop-up messages work? What about personalized feedback? you know can we tell if somebody shows indications of problematic gambling? Um, you know like next week I'm gonna a paper will be published where we used like the first week of player data. And try to figure out does that tell us something about a person's future gambling in terms of risk that might, you know, emerge at a later stage in their gambling career, those kinds of things. And all of that also translated into like a commercially player monitoring tool called Mentor, that many operators, including um some which were already mentioned here, are using to monitor their players for gambling related risk like in terms of you know problem gambling but also entire money laundering and fraud
0: oh wow, well, perfect thank you very much for that um and last but not least christina i know you said uh i know nick mentioned earlier on uh, you guys know each other but yeah could you tell us a bit about yourself
4: yeah sure and um i can believe nick has been in the industry over 30 years because i've been in the industry at the same time as nick it would seem um, I also started in the tail end of 1991, and I'm still there. And I've also met Stasi and Michael. Our paths have crossed over the years, so it's, it's a little yes. bit of a a nice little reunion of minds, which is
0: fantastic. Oh, nice. <laughs> um,
4: so I, I'll be brief. I had quite a checkered history, and it's been a very masculine route. So I was, I think I was the first female sports book trader. That was back in the day when you didn't have all of this stuff called the internet and online and all that kind of stuff. It was very much land-based. Um, I was then general manager at a company called Blue Square, which developed a sports betting platform called OpenBet. I was um, the operator at the Tote when he still sat under the UK government. I'm very proud to say that we were the first operator to actively kind of engage with Gamcare. So my kind of association with social responsibility and player protection goes back close to 20 years now. And I guess my last gameful employment, I headed up operations for Virgin Games, which was also when the regulator started to kind of appear in the shape and form that we know them today. So whilst I did kind of compliance and MLRO stuff at Virgin, what I've done over the last 10 years is work with operators across a whole bunch of stuff. I've been very fortunate in that the only things I haven't really touched are things like affiliate marketing, which has never been particularly interesting to me and kind of accountancy, as who wants to look at a spreadsheet all day? Michael's product is far more engaging than a spreadsheet, thankfully. I'm still a practicing compliance officer today, so that's uh, UK license, Malta, JIB, and, and some of the kind of more interesting emerging markets internationally. I remain um, passionate about keeping crime out of gambling, so I think I'm probably one of the few people who does MLRO training for the industry specifically, and and that's a workshop for would-be kind of crime prevention officers, MLROs, etc. And I would say one of the things that still continues to kind of make me angry in the industry is player protection. As an industry, we have a duty of care to our customers. And I think this conversation and this podcast comes at a very timely point where we're starting to see kind of emerging technologies becoming mainstream in a way that has never happened before. And we're actually also starting to see a massive move towards multi-channel. So it's no longer the case that retail's over there, online is over there. We now need to find ways of, I guess, having that single customer view over every channel. Because that's how problem gamblers are thinking and that's how fraudsters are thinking as well. So... Thank you for having me. I'm really, really excited about this conversation.
1: Can I just add, Christine, not just over every channel, but also over every, every operator? Because I know it's interesting, you know, that you you raise that single customer view because I've been reading up on the recent government white paper in the UK, last which was published last Thursday, and one of the things that they talk about is this single customer view. Um, and I was really interested in that because I thought, I just can't see how. You're going to get all the operators because they talk about operator wide in the UK. So, I, mean, I, I apologise for those that you aren't in the UK, they talk about it operator wide in the UK, and it just absolutely amazes me how that's going to happen. But I think it has to happen. We, if you're going to be able to manage and um, um, protect customers, you're going to have you. We, as you and I both know, problem gamblers don't have one account.
4: No, and I think it's a valid point. Um, and, and probably Stasi can speak to North America, where Michael has the European experience. But certainly in the UK, we're starting to see traditionally online players shifting towards land-based as a means of bypassing some of the kind of player protection and money laundering requirements that are specific to online, but perhaps not as extensive for the retail side of the world.
2: That's really interesting because we're you know, from from both a responsible gambling perspective and from, you know, just from an understanding player's perspective, uh, we've been getting a lot of questions about, well, what does a player look like that is a traditional bricks and mortar player? And now that online is coming online in all these different jurisdictions, who's going to switch to online? Um, you know, what is there, um, is online being offered on property only? And how does that change uh, whether or not that player is going to be able to uh, is going to be participating, and it's very interesting to think of that um, from this one player uh, view perspective. Um, when that player is confined to a particular property or particular provider, um, certainly that that can be easier. Um, but to think that you know they don't they only have uh, they certainly don't have only one account is uh, is a very a very interesting observation and it's definitely something that i can be thinking about more now
0: yeah definitely definitely some great great views and um, statistics there as well i mean as we've all, all discussed like prior to this podcast and stuff i mean we really want to help promote the industry as well like there's a lot of people that are a bit reluctant to join or a bit hesitant to join the industry and um how we can really um utilize like regulations ai and like the change in market conditions like diversity and the commercial element and how it can like positively impact the business I mean, what what are your thoughts, Michael? I mean, at uh, Nexon, um, obviously you're the managing director there. I mean, what, what's your thoughts and the views on this?
3: You mean in terms of uh, multi-channel gambling or yeah, multi-channel gambling yeah, I mean... and
0: I mean... like like Stacy said there, like not just identifying it. So us like what like there's no there's no worm um, like there's not one specific answer for like a problem yeah. gambler, for instance.
3: I Yeah. I mean, also it depends a lot on the regulation because what you saw, for example, in Sweden when the gambling authority in june 2020 introduced a weekly deposit limit as a response to COVID, the number of uh, active players you know rose across the license holders there so i mean i published a number of papers about COVID and gambling so whether players transitioned you know whether casino players g- gambled more etc etc but what you saw you saw an increase in active players, but those were rather on the low end in terms of, you know, spending. So what players obviously try to do, they try to circumvent the newly introduced deposit limit. And that's what you, I would say, see everywhere. You know, once you have a really tough, I mean, you have a regulation coming in, some players will just try to circumvent it. So you can, you know, independently You know, make any you know draw any conclusions because you always have this framework of restrictions of regulation around, like in Germany now, where you have the one euro you know deposit limit per slot spin, those kinds of things. You know, and one another good example is in Germany they have like gambling halls and they have casinos, and in the gambling halls they introduce lots of restrictions. For example, if you Pop up money, it's not there immediately on the machine, but it takes time, it counts, basically. It loads up. So, a lot of players transitions from the gambling hall to the casino because you have the same type of game there, but less restrictions, you know? So, you always, it's like a balloon, right? You squeeze it in one end and it will come out the other end.
0: <laughs> oh, perfect, perfect. Uh, so, I mean, like Stacy said there, um There's not like one specific type of person as well. I mean, Nick, from your experience well, within the gambling and gaming industry, I mean, how how have previous organisations helped to identify like a problem gambler or try to utilise technology and and then following that, how, states that how do you think we could improve it going forward? I think it's a really interesting question um
1: that you raise there. I think probably Christina would agree with me. I think for many years they didn't. I don't think they actually. Bothered to identify problem gamblers, I think they let them. They left them. I think that what you've seen certainly. I mean, I've, I've what what you've seen is is that I've worked in different different countries, and I've noticed that I'd probably say that the UK is the most liberal in terms of the way that it manages cost, manages problem. Gandlers. I think that well, I've worked all over the world. I've seen a lot more um, constraints held. In other jurisdictions, what I would say is that I'm I'm really interested to see because I think that what the UK government have done is given the gaming industry in the UK the opportunity to self-regulate, and it's really interesting because um, from the recent white paper, I was expecting to see some sort of issue around gambling, around advertising. There wasn't really anything around it because they've started. Football clubs have started to self-regulate by saying they're not going to have gambling on the shirts anymore. So they have going to give, they've given themselves two years to get out of the contracts that they had existing. Um, I've noticed as well. I certainly, I mean, working for a company like F D J, who are renowned across the world, their whole remit is around about security and integrity. And so that that was at the top of everything that I did a year. So it, whenever I was working, it was always very clear that you had to work, you had to look out for, for problem gamblers. I'm not so sure that's the case elsewhere, Um, and I think that what you've seen is with the Gambling Commission coming in, and and it's interesting because I think the new white paper given the Gambling Commission, Christine is far better um, qualified than me to talk about this, but I think it's given the Gambling Commission a little bit more teeth in terms of what they want to do and the way they where they want where they want to take it, and I think the operators have to realise that if you don't start self-regulating, and this is the whole. I talked a little bit earlier when we talked about a single customer view. If you don't create that single customer view, guess what? The gambling commission are gonna come and do it for you. you've got the opportunity to do it yourself? If you don't do it yourself, look out because we're gonna the government are gonna come and do it. So I think that's that's the that's the sort of message that I've seen, you know, that I certainly th- think in the UK. I think Whilst um, I've always said this, that the UK, it didn't go down very well with some of my employers, but I would say, or customers, I would always say that innovation comes out, any innovation in the gambling industry comes from the UK. If you look across the world, whether it be Cash Out or bet builder or any of these or in-plate betting, it's all come out, all been driven from the UK over the years. Um, where the UK has been slow is around legislation around gambling, And then I think because we've had quite little rules over the over the years i think that now certainly reading the white paper in a lot of detail i think that we're going to start to see that close we have the opportunity within the industry to manage it ourselves and i think that's a that's a strong warning if they don't look out because the gambling commission and the government are going to take steps to ensure that you do to take problem gambling seriously
2: it's really interesting um sitting on this panel and hearing the the UK perspective, because it was you know, years and years ago now that I first went to went to London and it was it was very, I mean, I don't want to say shocking, but shocking for me to turn on the television and the, every second ad was a gambling ad. I'd never seen that before uh, coming from a different market. And now, maybe in the last six months to a year, um, with the Canadian online gaming coming online, all of a sudden, I'm starting to see that at home. And I wonder um, if you're starting to see that claw back a bit with with these new regulations, or is that still quite
1: prominent? Well, well it's interesting because I, I even if you go on social media, I think I see a lot more in social media than I do on the TV. Maybe I'm just maybe it's a little bit like wallpaper for me now that I know who's you know it's just there. Yeah, certainly I see, I see it all the time on social media. And I, one of the things that the Gambling Commission had come out and said in the in the, swipe, in the white sorry the government have said in the white paper is that you've got to do more to protect the children and 18 to 24-year-olds. They're being very clear about saying that you need to regulate and make sure you need to use technology to ensure that you don't provide adverts, you don't provide advertising or or any sort of enhancements to the people that are underage and vulnerable. How are they going to do it? I don't know. It's going to be quite tough. I mean, I've been sitting there thinking about it myself, and it is a difficult thing to be able to to do, it, to do it. because not everybody puts the proper their their real age down, so you're going to have an issue. But it's a really you know it, it's an interesting initiative to say okay look this is the problem you've got to go and fix it, and they're giving the opportunity they're giving the operators the opportunity to fix it before they come back and say okay this will be the Lost days. And uh, I you know it's the online stuff I think I find more worrying than I do the, the, than I do on the TV. Certainly sports channels Christina have got it all the time haven't they? So something like Sky Sport will have its gambling ad after gambling ad. But you don't see it in mainstream TV so much, do you?
4: You, you don't. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, one, in the UK, we have a watershed. So certain forms of gambling you can only show after 9pm. So there, those forms of gambling considered higher risk, such as poker or casino, that must be after 9pm. But you're right, Nick. What we, what we do allow is for betting companies to perhaps sponsor programmes. Now, that tends to be more bingo and the softer forms of gambling. And in terms of sports betting, there was um, an agreement between some of the big players within the industry that they would not show adverts during play. So, you know, whistle to whistle, no gambling adverts, but they would show them outside. So there's a degree of self-regulation. But I'd I'd just like to pick up on a couple of the points that all, all three panelists have raised, if I may. So... My my version of or my take on the white paper is it was trying to be all things to all people. You know, gambling is a very polarized and divisive subject. So there's a white paper here who that has been published, and its purpose is to address every interest, every lobby group. But I tend to agree with with Nick. Having read through it, the takeaways. That, that I've kind of noted down is there is a clear warning to industry. Start thinking about this and start behaving, or we are going to come after you. There is some interesting um, suggestions and recommendations about technology and how technology can be better utilised to protect players. And, and I agree with you, there is also reference there, which I think does give the Gambling Commission greater powers, Now, you're right, the UK probably has the most liberal market in the world. But over the last 24 months, that has shifted massively to the extent that the Gambling Commission of Great Britain has issued more fines than any other regulator. But all the other regulators internationally have picked up on this. And one of the interesting things was Ohio went live with sports betting at the beginning of January. And within seven days, they'd issued three fines in terms of social responsibility failings linked to marketing. So what we're finding is that the rest of the world has kind of picked up on what the UK is doing and has started to kind of embrace it. So to Nick's point about... You know, the kind of sports industry in the UK, the FA, or rather the Premiership has said within a couple of seasons, they are not going to have betting companies' logos on their shirts. That is only the Premiership. though. The other leagues are going to continue, potentially. What you've found in the US, however is already this year all of the big sports associations have come together already to say we are going to take a more responsible approach. But I think for me, in in terms of where we are with technology, and and going back to to your original question, Hamish, yes, Operators are required to look at customer activity. They're required to monitor. They're required to identify potential problem gamblers or customers who perhaps are getting in over their heads. All of that is in place now. You know, we've got kind of data science, machine learning, which will kind of say to us, this customer has ticked a number of boxes across a set of behaviors or conduct or whatever. And. Based upon those triggers, we think they might have a potential problem or they might be at risk. For me, the challenge is no longer identifying the player, it's how you interact with the player. And that is where I see the value of AI. When you look at how AI is now being used and how predictive analytics are being used in marketing, if we can have all of that technology in front of an AI-driven chatbot, we can actually start interacting with customers in a way that is relatable to them. So, for instance, if you've got a problem gambler, your bookie ringing you up and saying, your behaviour is a little bit alarming, can we have a conversation about it? You're going to hang up on them. That's a conversation you don't want to have. If, however, we can use AI which is then interacting with that individual in a way which is almost organic and natural to that customer, as well as culturally competent, we've got a really, really good opportunity here to take technology and start making it work in a way that actually is meaningful when we engage with customers. In terms of the single customer viewpoint, I think Nick's raised a very valid point, as have the others. The only way you're going to get everybody to comply is regulation. Your self-regulation works to an extent. What you have is everybody saying, yes, we want to do the right thing. But when they see one or two people commercially benefiting by not doing the right thing, it's no longer a level playing field. I'm
1: going to step back off my soapbox now. <laughs> I, I absolutely concur with you, Christina. I think you're absolutely correct. And I think, the, you know, the other thing that, that that slightly worries me as well is that when they see the black market coming in and they start and they go, okay, well, this isn't right. This isn't a level playing field because you're not doing anything to stop the black market. And I've seen that all over the world. You know, I've been in Portugal. I've seen, you know, it, 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 uh, it different countries that I've worked in, you see the black market is very prominent. I don't think it's as prominent in the UK. Maybe that's because we're a little bit more liberal. But something where I see a lot of regulation. I don't think the government's do enough to do um, IP dropping to stop these, stop these people in place. Something they do in Israel, I'm aware of it in Israel, they're very strict in Israel, but not in other countries. I've seen them being, you know, there's, you can you go, you'll you know, get my motor on, I can see, and find no end of different sites that are available to me, different locations. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think it's key that um, government regulations and legislation generally are the key to the success within this. But in particular, um, I, mean, I know Michael, obviously, you're the MD at Necton, as uh, we discussed earlier on, and a few of the key aspects that you deal with, like fraud, uh, responsible gaming, etc. Um, I mean, I know on, on the website and from when we spoke to other people at Necton, they've said that the Necton solutions like AI-based. Like, how do you use that model and how do you think that could positively impact people in the in the business?
3: I mean, what Christina you know, really hit the head on, on the nail before originally, so when I started, a num- I mean, a number of large operators at least claimed to have, you know, tracking solutions. I mean, many of them have been fined meantime, so I don't think that internal solutions can be that good. Um, and then, of course, um, the monitoring, I mean, was started like you know companies or researchers started to think about it let's around 2010 2011 you know papers studies studies were published and the question is always with any AI or machine learning I mean supervised machine learning you need I like a pre-labeled group right you need something to train it on I always sort of you know take the analogy of the Tesla the Tesla recognizes another car, but how does it do that? It was trained with you know millions, billions, whatever of 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 of, of cars of pictures in the past. And based on those pre-labeled data, it learned okay, this is a car, that's not a car, that's you know an object, object that's an obstacle, etc. And with problem gambling being, you know, of course, a psychological state, you no know, issue diagnosis. Uh, just like all psychological psychiatric diagnosis, it's up to definition, right? So somebody specified or experts committees have written down the DSM5 or the ICD11 criteria. So gambling addiction is only its own you know diagnostic criteria um, since DSM5 and ICD11 which only which were only recently published, right? And a lot of the indications are not related to how somebody gambles, but you know, the, the, the consequences or you know, psychological aspects like do they feel restless or irritable when they cut down on gambling, did they lie to family members about their gambling? So nothing you could really monitor in the data per se. Right? So one I mean approach here is basically to ask players a standardized gambling screen. And I mean, I published a number of papers about that. So you ask, you know, like Nick or Stacy or, you know, or Christina, those nine questions of the Problem Gambling Severity Index. And then based on the responses, you could learn or you could train an algorithm. So I did that too. And there we found that players often answer randomly, right? So they lie or they just don't take it seriously. And then for example, we build in like the time it took for them to answer the first question to the last question. And then we we excluded all of those who just rushed through the through the questionnaire. And then we found that, you know, answer quality, because you look at the distribution, you know of the different scores really increased. And what we found is that those who self-report problem. I mean, again, this is a subgroup of people because that's not the ones who have a problem but wouldn't admit it are not the ones who spend the most, who lose the most, who deposit the most, but the ones who play in the most impulsive way, I mean, at least with online casino gambling. So they would deposit frequently within a session. So they gamble, they run out of money, they don't stop, but they top up their account, they top up their account, right? Second criteria was, they almost always gamble until they are broke. So when they gamble and they only stop once their session has been depleted to zero. So those kind of criteria. And that's, you know, also something I always try to sort of promote. It's not how much somebody loses or deposits in total, because then a typical operator could just, you know, take, I don't know, the top 1, 5% of players, and I don't know what, you know, block them, exclude them, but where do you stop, you know, where do you start, where is the type of threshold? So it's not about how much somebody loses in total, but it's how they actually play, you know, what's their pattern of play, how often do they deposit, do they ever withdraw, what do they do after they have lost a lot, what do they do after they have won a lot, do they chase after the loss in the winnings? those kinds of things. So the relative aspects are not the absolute aspects because then you can make sure that you also capture, I don't know, you know, the factory worker who has 300 euros available monthly budget and, you know, the Premier League football player who has 30,000, you know, uh, monthly budget. That's important because otherwise you end up with a regulation like in other countries where they introduce absolute thresholds like, I don't know, thousand euros a month or ten thousand a month but you know where to draw the line for um, a large group of people a thousand euros a month is too much right i mean and for a lot of them a thousand you know they would like to spend more on it so i would say no threshold here is ideal because if it's too low you will have a growing black market and if it's too high then you know it won't help basically the, you know, the the low-income uh, part of the population.
1: So it's also an, in, it's an interesting point you raise as well, um, because the other thing as well as I've been reading that recently is that because of the, the, the changes that are being brought in by um, the UK government on the white paper, the Levy Group Horse Racing are claiming that they're going to be between 8.4 and 14.9 million pounds short to support racing. And so all of a sudden this, this whole industry, becomes under pressure because you're managing your you're managing out those sort of high roller customers to a certain degree so it all has a knock-on effect because and i think the government have, christina will tell me back with no but the government are looking to do something about this christina is that correct they're going to try and um create some sort of level playing field with this and go away because they recognise that they're they're going to look relook at the levy scheme for horse racing so that they can ensure that they get um that the money isn't lost. I think it's one of the ideas is they're going to give them turn a levy from international racing. I think.
4: Yeah, you're absolutely right. They they are looking at it, and I think you know given how long we've waited for the white paper, we we just have to wait and see how it comes out. Because I think the other thing is racing internationally is is less popular than it used to be. Yeah, and and that that's a challenge we've got. Um, irrespective of the amount of money that that's coming in, if you're not getting the footfall, a little bit like you know some of the land-based casinos around the world. They've seen a drop in footfall since online came on. They've now started to see a resurgence because online has all of these social responsibility and money laundering restrictions. But you kind of got me thinking, something Stasi said before and something Michael just said, um, one of the things I've been seeing as kind of um, compliance officer in MLRO is we're starting to see fraudsters pretending to be problem gamblers so that's becoming a challenge so increasingly that the questions that i'm asking customers is who are you where does your money come from and can you afford it and given that we have people who do have um, problems with gambling they too start to kind of look at how tools like Necton work and how can they get around them criminals we'll look at the rules around a website and what fraud and security precautions are and try and work around them. Given AI and machine learning can be relatively agile in the way it kind of learns, responds and readjusts, is this an opportunity to take technology and allow it to get us on the front foot? Because everything we've done when it comes to player protection and fraud and security
2: is traditionally
4: based on historic learnings.
2: I I really, I mean, as concerning as it is, I really like that um, you just presented a problem. Because what what I find really interesting about this conversation, and if you compare it to conversations that, you you know, you and I might have had four years ago, we were focused on how is technology going to help us? Can technology help us? And I think, you know, what you said about, you know, predictive analytics can help us here, a chatbot can help us here. It's interacting with it's interacting with people, it's getting to know them on their own level. Um, years ago, we would be like, Oh, how can we implement a chat bot? How can we implement predictive analytics? And I find it really, really interesting that here we are. And it's been, you know, it feels like it's been a long journey, but it's actually quite short. And we're talking about these tools, like they're available to us, and they are right. So it's not necessarily about even though like, you know, I love building new things but it's not necessarily about you know building new technology right now at this point i think a lot of technology exists that can help us address these problems in the you know it particularly ai based technologies and i like that you you discovered a at least to me, it's a new problem. So we're starting to to identify these things, and there there's certainly ways that that AI can help us. And I, I think that you know we we kind of have to admit that we're probably here because of chat GPT. Um I, I think you know, on this panel, we've been having this conversation for a long time, but now everybody's starting to talk about it. So I think everyone's really excited um that the tech is more mainstream because it's easier to have that conversation. But we're also in a much more crowded space now. Um, so we have to make sure that um, you know there's a responsibility to be able to implement these things correctly and to be able to utilize this AI technology um, to address problems that are really important to us. You know, whether they're commercial, whether they're addressing social issues, um, and, and really kind of dig through the like, just get past the hype right now. So it's a very interesting time, but it's a very confusing time. Um, and, and it's going to be uh, I really ho- I really hope that what emerges from this is is a useful tool that's going to be able to to address these problems and to to actually bring us into an era of social good um, rather than just more commercial hype and more more uh, more competition. So, I mean, the, I just I think it's really interesting that that we're talking about this thing like it's, you know, it's yesterday's news. Oh, you know, predictive analytics, you know, big deal. Um, but that, that's a big deal that we've come that way in, in such a short time. And I think that, you know, Dharmesh, um, you mentioned, you know, how do we promote the industry? How do we get, you know, get people interested in, in joining the industry? I mean, that, that's one good way. The technology available to them is uh, very interesting at this point. So if you're, you know, nerds like me, uh, coming out of school uh, that want to get involved. like there's a lot of opportunity to to stretch your intellectual muscles. There's a lot of opportunity for um, you know it might seem counterintuitive to somebody outside the industry that um, you know there's a lot of good in gambling. Um, but there is a lot of good in gambling and it can be very rewarding to work in this field. Um, and the data, I mean what originally got me interested in gaming is the data is just unparalleled the the opportunity to to study a human in in a lab where you know in, where every transaction is being recorded and understanding how they move around a slot floor how they interact with um, with digital gaming it's just uh, it's really unparalleled and there's a lot of opportunity to uh, to to invent um, and to do good
4: can I just ask we we see kind of box being used to emulate Customer behaviors. How long before we have an AI-driven bot whose sole purpose is to exploit gaming sites?
1: I think they've had we've had that for years, haven't we? There have been people that have created bots which look for you all know this as an ex-trader, where you make a mistake, where you where you where you got the price wrong. There's been people doing that for years, and obviously we you go through a process of IP blocking or you you know that. You see you know certain accounts are doing it and you block it um but some of it's been going on i just think they're going to get more sophisticated and more sophisticated in the way that we catch them
4: i think maybe that's my question because you're right you know we've had the bots who whose role is to hack into dormant accounts and steal the money or yeah. to kind of manipulate bonuses and promotions but we also now have a problem with synthetic ids yeah So if you put together AI, the concept of a synthetic ID, an AI that can emulate the behaviors of a human, how long before we have a virtual customer?
2: I mean, it depends how hard you look, I think. I mean, that might exist already, but without... If the bot doesn't have all the data that the casino has, then it can be very difficult to properly emulate uh, player behavior because really analyzing the, the statistics on how someone will behave after each transaction that's extremely difficult without a huge data set but i mean probably doable it just um hopefully uh hopefully somebody the casino is using that st- statistical process to be able to analyze whether or not that that player is is legitimate
4: and i guess the opposite of that would be maybe an extension of michael's tool how how far away are we from a digital or virtual say for gambling officer
3: I mean, you have it in you know in medical consultancy to some degree. Of course, what you need to take into account this is like a you know hugely sensitive psychological environment, right? And a bot mustn't sort of you know react in the wrong way. I mean, you also have liability and the question: Where does the operator's responsibility start? Where does the operator's responsibility? sort of, you know, stop, so what's actually, what's the duty of care here when, you know, you realize, okay, there is a person who might be overspending and, you know, who might have a gambling problem, but to some degree, of course, I would say, I mean, the technology is really there. I mean, I'd like to, you know, uh, sort of follow up on something you said before, I mean, Stacy, right, right, we're the data. So we work with about 70 operators, and the biggest issue that I identify with most of them is actually their data. So very, very few operators are really able to handle the data correctly. They have data quality issues. You know, they can not provide data in real time. They have outdated systems. A lot of platforms, operators have lots of legacy. So they developed, you know, their technology a long time ago and just built, built, built on top of it, right? It's like, you know, taking an outdated system, trying to improve it, but at some point of time, you just have to get rid of it and, you, and get in something new. So there's, I think that's a big issue. And the white paper mentions, for example, and mentions an example of a player who lost 4,000 pounds in six minutes. I found that quite interesting because what are they trying to say here? They're trying to say, okay, I mean, you can't lag behind in your monitoring. I mean, you can't wait until tomorrow and tell, okay, this guy lost 5,000 yesterday but you have to be real-time. And that sort of, of course, immediately leads to the customer interaction part, like real-time communication, pop-ups, you know, um, communication chats, and so on and so forth. Because the biggest, I mean, the biggest advantage of data, machine learning, whatever one would call it, my opinion, is still the prevention part, right? It's not about telling, okay, that guy has a problem, but actually... You know, intercepting the behavior as early as possible and nudging the player towards a healthy behavior, right? You know, informing them. Look, and we've observed that you know you deposited five times today, or we saw that you know your the you know your your game on devices increased, those kinds of things. That's important. You know, it's not about detecting problem gambling, but preventing it. At the end of the day, because that should be the the whole idea to have less problematic players and more recreational ones.
2: That's really interesting about the data that that hasn't been uh, that hasn't been my experience. I mean, maybe it's you know we can get into a <laughs> I can I can nerd out on this all day, but um, there's you know I guess it kind of depends what type of AI you're using, right? Because if you're using uh, neural nets then you rely on that really high quality, uh, long time period data set. If you're using more model based methods, um, then, you know, you can stand having some outliers and some, some grittier data because it's kind of getting smoothed out in your process. So it's, um, yeah, I I didn't, I didn't really consider that. That's, that hasn't been my experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, I
3: mean, in our case, so the operator sends us the data daily or real time and we feed it often back to the player, right? So players widget, like a cockpit and players would receive information. But that that has to be 100% accurate. And very often in a real-time stream, whatever, the data got lost, wrong data sent, you know, those kinds of things. So it's really down to the very detail because it's information at the end of the day which goes back to the individual. And you want to be correct in that sense. So you can't, you know, accept, you know, any level of inconsistency. Yeah.
1: I think going back to Christina's point, um, it's interesting that the guy who was the pioneer at Google, Jeffrey Hinton, resigned. Now, I know he was 75, but one of the reasons he, he, he was talking about, he he. I read an article on the BBC today that he um, regretted his work on AI because he felt that one day they would be cleverer than us. We could see a time, and I think that's probably the answer to your question. I think that eventually there will be something. As ever, we, we overestimate what technology could do in the short term, but we underestimate what it could do in the long term. And I think in a long term game, I think you're probably like Christina, there will be something where it's almost like creating creating this fortunate gamble itself in the, in, in the AI space.
4: It's going to be really, really interesting. I mean, on a very basic level, what, what I could see AI doing for us right now is being a digital assistant. Um, and what I mean by that is, when I'm looking at my customer base, it is incredibly diverse. And English, or whatever that country's first language is, is not necessarily the customer's first language.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah. I tell you what, there is a problem, though, is that it's interesting because you know AI has been banned in Italy because they're worried about it. And I think that you may well find there's going to be some regulation around it because he was not that He was the one of the founders of Apple. He designed the whole Apple computer. He, I understand. I'm told that he went to the American government and spoke to Obama about it. And Obama, he said, "Oh, yeah, just get on with it," because he was concerned about the fact that a of the power that a something that AI could achieve. Um, and I think governments are just waking up and realizing what's what what the power of what this AI tool can do. And I fully expect some form of legislation at some point in the next two years, because I just think it's you know it, it's going to grow exponentially. I mean,
3: what I mean, I, I I I have issues with with that to be honest, because I mean you can, I mean they they don't know, I mean there is no specification of what an AI or a machine learning or anything like that, right? I mean analytics, predictive analytics has been around for a very long time, and it starts. I mean, any algorithm, and if it, for example, just uses gender to describe, you know, uh, uh, size, you know, bodies, you know, height or something like that, it's an is an algorithm, right? It just uses one variable, and you build it, you know, and it can get more complex and, like Stasis said bef- before, I mean, you can have tree-based, whatever, you know, anything boosting, begging, etc. And, I mean, any, I mean, there are very few systems which, you know, rely on some, some sort of algorithm. I mean your T V relies maybe on the surrounding light and you know, sort of things like that. So that will be very, very interesting, you know, to see.
1: Michael, how they do it is beyond me, but I mean I mean look, I'll give you some examples. I mean, we've had recently where someone put into a, um created a song of duet between um Drake and The Weeknd, and it went up on Spotify, and it had over 200,000 listens over a weekend, and it got taken down by Universal, the, the record league. Now, people mm. couldn't tell the difference between that, and uh, I mean, I've mean, i also seen, I've also seen, you know, could miss people clone our voices, and just put, you know, Speak9LSD yeah. ranking on, and completely changed Christina's perspective, and this <laughs> is where, this is, sorry, this is the area, it's the it, it's I suppose it's really what you call the dark arts, where people use it nefariously. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think this is where the concerns are, because That's we're only we're really really speaking for the good, but there's also, you know, for every one of the good, there's also someone on the other side that must be really used it to get, to get the better mm-hmm. or nefarious. I think that would be the concern.
4: Nick, mean, can I ask you, what was Italy's reaction to that um, AI illustrator where they had a picture of the pope wearing a puffer jacket yeah and and people thought it was real
1: he thought i think that was more it wasn't that wasn't um that was that was more of a photoshop type of job there are other ones where people have won photo competitions by saying create a photo there was another one that i read about where a wildlife photographer um he had a certain style where he gets goes into he gets right into the sort of base of the animal and someone put, um, i'll do one and a style of it, a, a lion eating or a t- tiger eating, and uh it was almost like uh, in this style and you, th- these are the these are the areas that are going to cause problems in the long term with the which yeah you know, people are going to be able to create whatever they want look we've had it with music already i mean what's the something going on in a minute and say create a song like Oasis and claim it as my own, you know, I mean, it's, it, who knows what's going to go on? So I think that's where we've got to be a little bit careful. I think if we can harness it for the good, I mean, the things that we've talked about today, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. So I think it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like you said there, the technology is evolving so much and AI is going to be a major, major component of that. And it's just about having the right regulations there in place to make sure it's not exploited in uh, a way that it, it could be. Um, I mean, I'm just a bit cautious of the time now. um I can't believe it's already been an hour, to be honest with you. But um I think what we'll do is we'll just go around the room. If anybody wants to ask any questions, um do you want to start off, Nick? Maybe.
1: I was just going to say, if you had spoken so much. Maybe you'd have had a chance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do, you want, do you want to uh, kick us off, Nick? Have you got any questions for the panel or anyone?
1: No, not really. I mean, I've just i just to say. I mean, look, you know, I think. It, this has been a really, really interesting debate for me. Um, I think we're all sort of coming from the same perspective on this, and I think we all realise the, the possibility of what, we, of what can be achieved in the right way, how we do it, and what it means in the next year or two. Who knows? I think that's going to be, it's going to be a very, very interesting guide to see how we can use technology to help problem gambling. But certainly from a UK perspective, I'm definitely seeing... You know, I've read the white paper in detail, and I'm just certainly seeing that there's going to be a lot more constraints. Uh, the, the bookmakers are going to have to react. The operators are going to have to react, just bookmakers, the operators are going to have to react. I'm um, certainly in the UK to so making sure that they abide they by because if they don't, it's very clear that the government are keen to give the Canadian Commission more power more teeth built to hold mm-hmm. to, to, to people to regulation. And I think. To a certain degree, but, may, but operators are doing that, but they've got a little bit more. Oh, Christine is a better place for me to say this, but I'd probably argue they've got a little bit further like a room to, m- to go. Yeah.
2: yeah,
0: definitely. 100% completely agree. What about yourself, Stacey?
2: Well, I think it's interesting that the last, um, you know, this conversation is, is starting to, to end on the note of regulation over AI itself. And I guess it's a bit of a philosophical question, but my question to the panel would be, what do we do? So do we try to anticipate what that regulation will look like? Do we just put our heads down and do what we've always been doing and try to use the technology for good right now? Um, How do we anticipate the future and and what does that that look like for us?
0: Does anybody want to go ahead? Maybe potentially, what what are your (laughs) thoughts on it, Michael, or...
3: Yeah. Go on, Michael. Sorry. it would be interesting to have this conversation with the with a few marketeers right sometimes i have the feeling in player protection we move around a bit in the bubble you know <laughs> reinforcing ourselves but what about you know uh, crm i mean how do they use the ai what do they do um you know to keep somebody gambling popping up their account and so on and so forth i think a lot of things can be learned, you know, vice versa. And I still have to go through the through the white paper. I mean, Nick, do they say anything there about like analytics and CRM in the white paper or any anything, limitations or
1: no, it's a little bit more high level than that. Really.
3: Okay, yeah. They talk
1: they are talking about the okay there's one thing about the way they want to have is what they call frictionless checks. Yeah. Um, what they mean by that is obviously what they want to do is to, to go off and do checks that we, the financial authorities, people like Experian, do now. Mm, mm, that yeah. sort of that sort of level of checks. Mm. Um, I think that's that's the only thing I could really see in there. Then if you saw anything else, Christina?
4: I did, I did, and and I have to say I find the term frictionless checks a bit of a red herring.
1: So the why? Yeah, because yeah, you, you know that you know as well as I do that there's no such kind of thing.
4: Exactly. Exactly. But I think to, to Stasi's point about what do we do, I think Nick's absolutely right. The regulators, it's its a question of when rather than if they show an interest in this technology. Because I think like any technology in today's world, it can be used for good or in the wrong hands, it can be used for bad. Yeah. And, and Michael said, you know, it's how you use the technology. So I think you're right. We carry on what we're doing. But what we do is rather than wait for the regulators, we start to develop the technology. We show how it can be used responsibly and we use it as an opportunity to uh, to educate regulators.
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I completely concur with
0: that. Oh, definitely. Perfect. Have you got any further questions, Christina, on the Um, panel?
4: not, Not questions because I think there's so much out there yeah. which is still unknown yet. I think the fact that we're having this conversation is fantastic. Um, but having heard some of the things that have been discussed, I'm now asking myself, Damish, are you real?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's de- I'm definitely real just for the record. But yeah, no, it's it's definitely, it questions you about everything, really. Like like we've highlighted through here, some of the examples there, like Nick mentioned with... People uh, creating a, a new song from two artists on the on the market, and it attracting a lot of attention and positivity more than anything. But um, yeah, it's just it's crazy how quickly and how much technology and AI is evolving. Um, what about yourself, Michael? Just before we finish, have you got any other questions or anything that you'd like to say?
3: Am I real? <laughs> 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 oh, well, I think. Fun. I mean, what, what, what I, I'd like to see is, you know, more collaboration in the industry because a lot of the larger operators are very, you know, sort of uh, keep everything very close to their chests. It's a lot about marketing, to be honest, right? Um, their responsibility. But, you know, if like now in the UK, I mean, if they would pull resources together, you know, invest in research, then I think we could really, you know, make a large leap forward
1: oh fantastic we've Perfect. 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 got an opportunity Michael with this single customer view but let's see whether they actually want to do it or not yeah I, I suspect that someone will be using it for marketing purposes rather than for
3: that's been discussed for a very really long time I think I mean in my opinion the only way is if this is governmentally driven like in Germany and you know other areas basically if the government sort of creates that single customer view and everybody has to comply with it I mean Leaving this, you know, to the industry, I mean, will not, in my opinion, result in a in a you know in a good solution. Well,
0: perfect, perfect. Well, thanks again, everyone, for joining. Uh, Pat, I'll I'll stop the recording sh- well, obviously shortly, and uh, yeah, I'll pass it on through to our marketing team. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can Im- be involved in uh, another one in the future and a bit more of a specific topic because it's such a broad topic, like how AI can help problem gambling, and we could be sat here all day uh but obviously i know Stacey's. it's it's due to go to work i believe shortly Stacey, is that right (laughs) she woke up especially for this so yeah i appreciate that and (laughs) i appreciate everyone's time once again um it's great to see that we're all connecting and even though we're all in different parts of the world and yeah it's just a great collaborative uh a chat that we've had today so yeah thanks again
3: bye guys
4: thank you
0: take care guys bye bye